I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Hey. Hey. What are you doing? I'm actually a prime and waiting to park. Oh, what number are you on? This is 47, I believe. Nice. Yep. And the yep. goal is 80 or something? 80 now. Okay. Yep. Well, you may have to raise your goal. I don't know. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to talk about summer vacation and how we feel like we're on it, sort of. <laughs> then we've got a mailroom question about how good material needs to be before you give it to someone with hiring power to read. This week's Hollywood hack comes from a listener. And for the first time in a long time, we have a celebrity sighting. Plus, it is my week for a recommendation. But first, this update, we got a really fun email from Lisa in Ontario. She said, hearing Liz speak about avoiding the treats on the picket line has finally prompted me to write in. At the end of April, 155,000 public servants from across Canada went on strike for a couple of weeks. While I am also a public servant, I belong to a different union, so I had to cross the picket line to go to work. Our union was supporting them any way we could, joining them during our lunch hour, and of course, some were bringing them coffee and treats. Those were my friends on the picket line, so I wanted to do more, but I didn't want to be the evil donut bringer. They always seemed to have lots of coffee. On an impulse, I bought a large bunch of carnations. When I pulled up to cross the line, I called over a friend and handed her the flowers to share. She said later how even men were carrying them as well and everyone was happy with them. Later, I heard coworkers in the office commenting on the picketers carrying flowers. I was looking to do something nice, but I got a real happiness boost from this. Liz, what's your favorite flower or a good symbolic flower for the writers? I'm sure a few listeners now want to know. That is such a fun idea. I know. Isn't it? It is. 
Well, certainly nobody needs to give me flowers, but I don't even know what my favorite flower is, Sarah. What flower would we want to carry on the picket line? What would well, be a know, good writer's flower? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a fan of daisies, but I don't know if that's necessarily oh, a good course. writer's flower. <laughs> daisies. Well, I think it's good because it's it looks good by itself. I mean, you need a yes. flower that stands on its own, which daisies definitely do. And they probably, you could probably get them in the dyed blue color that we hey. wear in our t-shirts. Yes, I love it. Okay, I think we have a plan. All right, whoever wants to bring daisies to the picket line, go for it. And Lisa, thank you. That is such a fun idea. Yes. It's interesting to tune in to people striking all over the country and the world, isn't it, Sarah? It is, yes. Labor is on fire. Yes. Okay, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyche. And today, it's that summer vacation feeling. So it's kind of the opposite of our work psyche. It's kind <laughs> of our not work psyche. Yes, I am definitely having that summer vacation feeling. And I think more than usual. And what I realized is that the school year's over for our kids. It's also over for me since I homeschool. You know, Violet does this kind of hybrid homeschool outdoor school thing. And like I have spent the last nine months doing lesson plans and teaching. <laughs> so <laughs> I know, Sarah, I can't believe we haven't talked more about that. You basically have another job on top of your job. <laughs> My side hustle. <laughs> your yes, your free side hustle. <laughs> You must be feeling like the last bell has rung and you want to run outside and throw your books in the air. Oh, completely. Yes, completely. I'm like, all of these books, I'm just like putting them away. I don't even want to look at them or think about them for at least a couple of months. So yes, I'm definitely feeling summery. But Liz, what about you? Yes, I've gone away a couple times, which really has added to the summer vacation feeling. And although yes. I'm like, okay, I can write when I'm gone. I can write in the hotel. I can write in the plane, etc. I'm just not in that mindset. I'm in the, I'm on vacation and I'm just hustling here, hustling there. And the problem is the summer vacation feeling is a great feeling, right? Yes. Now, of course, in all this, I'm picketing whenever I can, as are you, which that is a little tamp down on the summer vacation feeling, but I think because I've gone away and I haven't been picketing when I'm away, that maybe has really amped up the summer vacation feeling yes. when I am away. So the question is, how do we harness it? Because it's a great mm. feeling that one does not want to lose because it's like one of the best feelings in the whole universe, right? Yes. Is that summer vacation feeling, but we still want to make good progress on our novel. Yes. And I have to say, this is something I'm struggling with because I don't want to let go of the feeling, but I'm also painfully aware of how much we want to be working at the same time. And I'm about to go on a short trip. After that, I think it's about forcing myself to create a schedule, a realistic mm. daily schedule or even weekly schedule, and then sticking to it. That also in it allows time for the vacation feeling. Yeah, and I was thinking that I need some writing rituals that uh. I lock in. Like the other day I texted you and you texted back, I'm at a writing lunch, you know, I'll get back to you <laughs> later. And I thought, now that's smart. You have this kind of, you know, it's a ritual that you do 
And you know, when you go to a certain restaurant and order your salad, I think you get into a writing mode. Yeah, fish tacos in this case. And I'm, (laughs) okay, fish tacos. (laughs) And I think I need some rituals like that. I think what I've been doing is the, uh, oh, I'll sit on the couch and open my document at 10 (laughs) a.m. and feel absolutely no compunction to work at any particular time. I'll just assume that it's going to happen throughout the day. Yes. And then I'm like, well, let me go walk the dogs. Let me do some laundry. Let me uh, go do this thing with Adam. Oh, I have to binge watch all of Love and Death now. (laughs) And then it's 10 p.m. and I've written two paragraphs. Right. So I need to really have, I guess like you, the schedule at least – of the day. I mean, it doesn't even have to be the same every day necessarily if I just yeah. know on this day I'm doing this. And the rituals, like maybe I should go try to write at Starbucks, for instance. Yes. You know, I've never done that, but maybe it would help. Yeah, I have like a Pavlovian response to sitting down in a booth. Like if I sit down in a booth with my iPad, it's like, bajungs. <laughs> Suddenly oh, yes. the light goes on. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> And the other thing, Sarah, I think one thing that may be impacting us is it feels right now like the strike is just going to last forever. It does. I mean, you know, our goal was really to write the vast majority of this book during the strike, if there was one, right? To get so far down the line. And I still think we can, sadly. (laughs) I know. But it feels like, well, this thing is going to go on forever. So there's absolutely no rush to get the novel done because we have so many days. But one hopes the strike will end, at which point we have a lot on our plate, Right, yes. That we are going to have to dive into 100% full throttle. I mean, I hope they, what we have on our plate still exists when the yeah. strike is over. You never know. True. And we're going to want to be either done with the book or in some have it in some sort of shape where we have our arms wrapped around it. For sure. So uh, it's just hard to feel that when there's not even a negotiation looming on the horizon. I know. It's it's not even like they're talking and, oh, they're taking a break for a month. It is just nothing as far as we know. So it's hard. I mean, I think it's a hard thing that we are dealing with, but we just need to push each other, push ourselves, and maybe think about our future selves and how our future selves will be really happy if we have this novel done at the end of the strike. Or if not done, then in a shape where it's close to being done. And maybe, I hesitate to say this, but maybe we need at the end of every day to text each other, finish rewriting these things, wrote however many new words. I, I, <laughs> I'm cringing I'm making, as I say it. <laughs> I'm making horrible faces, but I think you're right. And we were doing that for yeah. a few weeks, and then we were getting a little ton done, I yes. would point out. <laughs> uh, All right. Basically, we have to knuckle down whether we want to or not. But I agree that I want to keep the summer feeling in there. Yes. Yeah. So I think maybe we just need to have, like, I will say, I'm going to lunch on these days to work. I will work for these two hours or accomplish, Mm -hmm. you know, we have our 500 words thing. Yeah. 
that that will help. Okay. We're going to get back into the serious groove. Yes. And when we do, it'll feel so good that we'll want to keep going. Oh, yes. It's just hard yes. to launch in. Well, and you know what else would help, Sarah? We need to report on the podcast how <gasps> we're doing. Okay, yes. Like we announced, hey, we've got our first 50 pages. Yes. We need next to announce we have our first 100. Okay. And that All shouldn't right. be too far down the line. No, that should be coming soon. <laughs> Eek. Okay. Coming up, we've got a mailroom question about when to show your work to someone who might be able to hire you. But first, this break. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it's time for our mailroom segment. We got a letter from Alice that is something that people all over LA and elsewhere are struggling with. She wrote, we're having a debate in my writer's group about how good a spec pilot has to be before submitting it. One member of the group has an opportunity to show her comedy spec pilot to a showrunner who may have a show after the strike is over. She thinks it is not ready and doesn't want to show it to him. I think she is paralyzed by perfectionism. She is hoping to get an entry-level staff position again after the strike is over. It seems she thinks her spec pilot has to be as good as Modern Family's pilot, but that was written by a seasoned writer. How good does a spec pilot need to be for an entry-level staff position? I am by no means suggesting people submit poor work or don't work hard on their scripts, but is it realistic or expected for a newbie writer to write as well as a showrunner? What is the criteria you look for when staffing newbie staff writers? What a good question. Yes. 
Well, Sarah, first of all, I want to say this is why you and I have always lamented this new, it's not new anymore, but this trend that writers have to submit a pilot as opposed to spec scripts. Yes. To write the Modern Family pilot, yes, that is one of the most successful shows in history. It's going to be hard to write something as great as that as a new writer. And it's much easier to write a spec Modern Family, right, where you're writing an example of a Modern Family episode. However, nobody wants to read those anymore. So it is the pilot. And the problem is, while it makes absolute sense that a new writer shouldn't be expected to have something as as great as a seasoned showrunner, you only get one chance to impress someone. Yes. And it's funny because I think probably you and your friend are a little bit right. She may be paralyzed by perfectionism. And we have known people who have said they were going to give us a script and then gotten paralyzed by perfectionism and not ended up sending it to us. You know, also we're terrible at reading things, but people do send us stuff and people say they're going to. And when they don't, I have that fear that like, okay, I think they maybe just got a little scared. So -hmm. that, yes, that probably is happening. But also she's right that when you give a script to someone who could hire you, it really does have to be in excellent shape. I I had uh, someone give me a first draft of a script. Like this was someone that I had just met and really wanted to help and said, when your script is ready, send it to me. And then she sent me this. It wasn't even really a first draft. It was just like, wow. And I felt like it showed such bad judgment that I was like, okay, I can't hire this person. Yeah. But someone is going to judge you on this script. And Everyone, whether they should or not, judges pretty harshly according to a pretty high bar. So I one thing is make sure the first five pages are absolutely amazing. Yes, you want to really capture the reader in the first five pages. We have said this before, which is that we know if we want to hire someone or don't want to hire them, usually in the first five, maybe 10 pages. Because if they can write a great first five pages, they can probably write a great script. And if it's not a good first five pages, then for sure we're not interested. There isn't this idea that it gets great in, you know, act three, right? It needs to start great. And the things that we look for are just like a fresh feeling of distinct characters, the way something's written. I mean, Sarah, I'm thinking when we had our writer's retreat and we had a writer named Allie who had written such a great teaser about a kid writing, I think it was a girl, riding her bike through the neighborhood and having seen something scary. And it was just such vivid language. I felt like I was riding my bike through that neighborhood and right there, we said, you're going to make it. You've got it. I, we knew just from that teaser, and she's gone on to work constantly since then. The hard thing is people do judge pilot scripts by different standards. There are some people who want it to be as good as Modern Family. It's just true. I think sometimes executives are looking for something, even from brand new writers, that just blows them away. That's not where we come from. We're not expecting your script to be as good as, you know, Sean Ryan's script or 
Christopher Lloyd script. We just, we want to see that you can write. We want to be engaged, fully engaged in those first five pages. We want to know that you can, yeah, write clear, cool, distinct character voices. Structural, if you if you have good structure, it's definitely a plus, but we're not super hard on beginning writers when it comes to structure. It just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yes, although what I will say is if we end up reading a whole script, the thing that will impress us a lot is if you have good act breaks. Now, I think in comedy, good act breaks are not as nearly as important as they are in drama. But for us, if someone has great act breaks, we might be inclined to hire them because we think they'll be great in the room. True. True. And then I also want to say kudos to both of you for being in a writer's group, because as we've said before, we feel like that is the most important thing you can do. And I love that your writer's group is like open and honest with each other and, and sharing your feelings about all of these things. The best thing in the world is having people who will be critical, but also productive and keep you moving forward in a positive way. So good job. And here's what I'll say. I think what your friend should do is set a deadline by which her script must be in shape to give it to this person because what you don't want to do is miss this opportunity. Now, is a time when this person may have time to read that will quickly go away once the strike is over. So set a deadline. Say a week from today, this script is going to be in shape to turn it in because, look, when you're on a staff, you're not going to have a lot of time to get things done. So put yourself on a deadline and get that script in. Yes, it's a huge opportunity that she should not miss for sure. Coming up, we have a Hollywood hack from a listener about how to actually make use of that expensive new technology you bought. But first this break. Okay, Sarah, it's time for a Hollywood hack. And this comes from our Facebook group from Stacy. She said, happiness hack, actually use the technology you agonized over buying, even if there are more steps you have to take. My desktop computer had gotten so slow, so I finally splurged and got a new laptop. But typing on a laptop's keyboard, using the laptop's mouse pad, and peering at the laptop's little screen made it less pleasant to use than the desktop, so I kept using the desktop and getting frustrated every time a simple search or file opening slowed it down. I finally realized that the desktop's keyboard will work with the laptop. It has a Bluetooth connection I didn't even know about. I bought a wireless mouse, and a friend had given me an extra monitor like a year ago, and another friend helped me find the right cord to attach it, and now I have all the convenience of my desktop computer on my desk with the computing power of my new laptop, yay. In summary, take the extra steps so that your expensive purchase is actually worth it. I love this. This is such good advice because when you get something and then it just sits there, it really just becomes a total waste of money. But this is something that you really want to have integrated into your life probably every day. Yes, and what's cool is that this doesn't just apply to technology It applies to all sorts of things, like you were mentioning something you wanted to apply this to. 
Yes. No, I have, you know, I'm obsessed with um, Click and Grow, the little device that you just put in your kitchen and put pods in and beautiful things grow from it. And you can like take a leaf of romaine off whenever you want. But I was feeling very constrained by it. It's like, it's not going to be a full garden, even though I have two and one of them is quite large. (laughs) It's not Mm -hmm. a full garden. And I really want to have fresh vegetables and lettuces and whatever that I can eat and give to the rabbit because God knows Violet won't eat it. But anyway, um, so I'm now going to commit to raised beds. Like I started working on a raised bed after this letter came in because I just need to do this. I'm going to have pretty raised beds outside so that my click and grow is not sadly just not living up to its potential, I will say. Well, Sarah, side note, you gave me a click and grow for Christmas, and we have these big, gorgeous things of basil. And I'm like, well, we need something that we can use basil in. It smells so good, but I want to use it. Those things (laughs) really work. They really do. They're amazing. Yes. Pesto, Liz. You just got to make some pesto. Okay, there you go. (laughs) You know me and my pesto making. (laughs) Yes, every day you're making a new pesto. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you, Stacy, for that hack. And it's definitely something that we can all work on because I think we all buy things and then they sit there unused and they taunt us. Yes. So, good reminder. Okay, Liz, you have, I can't believe I'm saying this, you have a celebrity sighting. Yes, Sarah, back before the pandemic, one of our most regular segments on this podcast was celebrity sighting, and then we went on lockdown, and it felt like we never had another celebrity sighting. So this segment is back. It makes me feel (laughs) like I'm, I'm back to some sort of normal life. So this was a very good sighting. I was in New York recently, And on the way back from JFK to LAX, I saw David Duchovny, big celebrity. David Duchovny, that's a big one. Yes. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, and I don't know how you could not know who David Duchovny is, he starred in The X-Files, he starred in Californication, he's been in a million things. And I'm happy to report he was looking great. (laughs) And the reason I even noticed him is because... the woman, a young woman who was across the aisle from him was staring at him with this goofy grin on her face. And I was like, what is she looking at? And I look over and she was looking at David Duchovny. So that was very funny. Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) And I did not hopefully stare at him in too obvious of a way. Not as obvious (laughs) as the girl with the goofy grin anyway. Okay, well, that's good. That's a win. Yeah, And then Liz... Every week, we recommend a book, a movie, a podcast, or anything else we love. It doesn't have to be new, just something we're super into, and you have a recommendation this week. Yes, I am recommending a show on Netflix called Outlast, and the show is 16 survivalists compete for a chance to win a cash prize in the Alaskan wilderness. So, Sarah, I love wilderness shows like Naked and Afraid, and I love reality competitions, And this is a perfect combination. It's basically Survivor meets Naked and Afraid. And the only rule is that to win a portion of the million-dollar prize, you have to be part of a team that's at least two people at the end. 
And I noticed it because it had been renewed for season two. And I said, oh, well, what is season one? So I'm happy to say there will be another season. But so this is people who are really having to survive the elements. They do have gear. It's not like Naked and Afraid where they don't have any gear, but it's minimal. (laughs) And they have to work together. And they can leave teams. They can kick someone out of a team. So it can be quite cutthroat, but also they have to survive the elements. Very entertaining. I highly recommend Outlast. And do they vote someone out every week like Survivor? How does that work? No, it's all just what ends up happening. Um, And also some people do leave because it's, you know, they might get injured. They might not be able Uh to take the elements. So eventually they get down to the end. Okay. Well, I'll be watching that. Yes. Outlast on a network we won't name again for obvious reasons, but (laughs) still watch Outlast. (laughs) Yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love hearing from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please follow us if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Kane's 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. How was the weather in New York? I love New York in the spring. It was absolutely gorgeous as long as it wasn't raining. So it rained, <laughs> but but other times it was beautiful, wonderful. I Nothing I love more than walking in New York in nice weather, and I was in heaven. Yay. From the Onward Project.